before the Lord. I really feel seen. I feel, I feel known beyond just like the, hey, would you pray for my test? Hey, would you pray for this bad day I'm having? I feel like I have been presented before the Lord. That'd be a memorable kind of experience, wouldn't it? Um, and maybe you've had that. Hey, uh, the reason I ask that is because in today's passage, that's what we see. In our passage, we get to, to read a prayer by Pastor Paul. He was, he was that great Christian missionary who lived about, about 200 or 2,000 years ago and planted a lot of churches in what are currently modern-day Greece and Turkey. Um, the Lord used him powerfully, and he, he prays this prayer over a group of non-Jewish Christians that he had never met. But what you're going to see as we, as we look through this prayer, you're going to see Paul's pastor's heart all over it for this group of people that he'd never met. This is what he wanted for them. I think he sees them well. And so that's why we've, uh, I've entitled this sermon, uh, A Pastor's Prayer. Hey, uh, while we're reading it, here's my encouragement to you. Maybe take Paul's prayer and kind of measure it up against the prayers that we so often pray for other people. I know for me, I'm guilty of making prayers kind of like, uh, Jesus, please be with them right now. Or Jesus, please solve this, this particular issue that they're going through right now. Paul prays for so much more. So would you stand, if you're able and willing, that's our habit here. Uh, we stand out of respect for the word of God and we are going to read Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, this is the true word of the living God and he gives it to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we stand before your word and no one can come from your word, from an encounter with you unchanged. Our hearts will either be drawn towards you and made more like you, or they will be hardened. And so, Father, I ask that you would move. I pray that where our hearts are hard, you would break them down. I pray, Lord, that for those of us that you have worked soft hearts into, that your word would, would just penetrate deeper to mold and to shape us. Lord, your word is powerful. It cuts to the quick. And I pray that you would move now for the good of your people and the glory of your name. I pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, I, uh, I figure after the last several sermons, you probably need a break from two-point sermons. So today, our sermon has four points. Uh, and in case you're doing the math and you're like, uh, can't you go plenty long with just a two-point two sermon? Uh, it's okay. They're all short. Err. Um, so today, we're going to look at the four things. The four things that Pastor Paul longs to see the Lord do in the lives of the Christians who lived in Colossae, which is in modern day Turkey. Um, hey, again, remember, 
These aren't people Paul had ever met before. He'd only heard about them. Um, he heard about them through their faithful pastor, Epaphras. We talked about him last week. Um, and isn't it kind of noteworthy though? Like as soon as he hears about this band of Christians, as soon as he hears about the fears that they're facing, Paul starts praying. He starts praying for them and he doesn't stop, right? Like verse nine, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So what does, what does Paul pray for these Christians? Uh, I think we'll see four petitions here. He prays that they would know, walk, endure, and celebrate as God's people. All right, so those are our four points. Know, walk, endure, celebrate. Uh, and under each of those, we're gonna ask, what is Paul praying, and why? Why is he praying that, okay? Uh, so let's start with no. So, so what exactly does Paul pray for them? Starting in verse nine here. He says, so from the day that we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's saying, hey, Colossians, here's what I want for you. I want you to know God's will. I want you to know God's will. So what does that mean, right? Because I think we can get a lot of funny ideas in our, in our culture today uh, about what does it mean to know God's will. Because sometimes, honestly, people think that knowing God's will involves like some sort of hidden insight into what God wants for the particulars of our own life, right? So some, some example here. Uh, it could be, what does God want for me in this particular career shift or move that I'm seeking to make? Who exactly does God want me to marry? So this might not sound like a newsflash, but the Lord's will and his, his plans do involve the particulars of our life. They very much do. Right? And uh, the folks who study theology professionally, uh, theologians, they call this his secret will. You wanna know why it's called the secret? Because you don't often tend to find out about it until after it's happened, right? It's really unlikely that you're gonna know exactly how many kids God wants in your family until guess what? Until you have them, right? It, God's plan um, his plan for the particulars of our lives are made clear as we, as we live our lives. So Paul isn't talking about knowing the particulars of life. Instead, what, what he's praying for them here, he's not asking that they would know God's secret will. He's asking that they would know what, we got, what theologians call the Lord's revealed will, okay? So what's his revealed will? Well, it's simple, right? It, it's his rescue plan for his people. And it's the standards that he has set that sets them apart from the whole rest of the world. And where do you find those? It's right here. All right, this is just as a quick aside, right? Um, I think very often we can spend a, an inordinate amount of time and energy seeking to know the particulars, seeking to know God's secret will, right? Um, and we can, we can talk about that a ton. Uh, but I think where the Lord wants you to focus, and this is where Paul focuses, he wants, them, he wants us to focus, spend that energy on seeking out the Lord's revealed will, living out in accordance to what he has said, right? Because, I mean, think about Deuteronomy 29, 29. The, that passage says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Those things that are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law, right? 
So let's major on, on what God has given us, the things he has made clear, his revealed will, and leave the particulars and his secret plan to God. Trust him with that, right? And as you make decisions in light of God's revealed will, I think you'll find, like generally speaking, um, the particulars are gonna work out because it's all part of God's plan anyway, right? But this is what he's revealed. So base your life on that. I hope that's helpful. Um, all right, so Paul says, hey, I don't want you to just know God's will in, in like an intellectual stored up in your head kind of way, right? He, he says, I also want you to be able to, to, uh, to understand it and apply it. I mean, that's, the, that's when he says wisdom here, wisdom is just knowledge that's applied. Uh, so Paul is saying this, right? I want you to thoroughly get this. I want you to be, to, to be so saturated, to understand God's redeeming uh, and rescuing plan for you. I want you to be so filled with it, so saturated with it, that it just kind of leaks out of you in everything that you do. We're going to talk a bit more about this uh, in the second point. So that's the what, but why? Why? Why does Pastor Paul pray that the Colossians would know? Hey, because, because he knew from the Colossians pastor, this man named Epaphras, right? Uh, he knew that the Colossians feared that they didn't know everything they needed to know. See, uh, they were afraid that they were missing out on like some sort of secret high-level knowledge that only elite Christians got to enjoy. And the reason they felt this was because they, they lived in an area where they were, there were plenty of local religions that were literally called mystery religions. And in these mystery religions, they were different tiers of knowledge. And, uh, and those remained a mystery to you until you attained, like, until you worked your way higher up in that religion, right? Um, and so how does Paul answer that, that fear that the Colossians have? What does he do? He points them to Jesus. He points them to Jesus. He points them to the Lord. He says, hey, he reminds them, God is the one who filled you with a knowledge of his will, right? Uh, just a little a nerdy geek out thing. Um, theologians will call, when, when you see a verb in the passive mood like this with no subject in front of it, that you may be filled, they call that a divine passive. God is behind that. He's the one who's doing this. So he points them to God. He says, y'all, the Lord who sent you Epaphras, your pastor, he did that because he wanted you to know him. He gave you the gospel because he wanted you to know him. And and the same Lord will give you everything you need to know him, to know him. Hey, um, why would Pastor Paul pray this prayer? How does that matter to us? Hey friend, do you realize God wants you to know him? God, mysterious, ineffable, the one who we could have no experience of unless he gave us experience. He wants you to know him. I mean, that's why he speaks in the first place, right? That's why he's given us his word. That's why ultimately he came in the flesh, that people might know him. Hey, everything you need to know God, to know about him, to know about his ways, to know about his plans, to know what he's doing in the world, to know what he wants from you, he's given to you. It's right here. It's right here in his word, right? It's in this book. Hey, you aren't missing out unless you're missing out 
on this, on his word. And again, just a quick aside, I say this because it can be popular out there for people to make you feel like you're missing out on something special. You're not. If you have this and you are in it, you know what God wants you to know. He's given you his word, all right? Uh, God wants you to know him. The question is, do we want to know him? That's right here if we do. All right, so we've already alluded to this, uh, but moving on quickly. Uh, Knowledge in the Bible isn't something that's just meant to collect dust in your brain, right? It's actually always meant to shape you, uh, shape everything about you, which is why Paul prays in verse 10 that the Colossians would walk as the Lord's people. Let's read that. So, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. All right, so what does that mean? Well, the idea of walking with God is as old as humanity. And you guys can jot down a couple of references I'm going to give you. You can look at them later. Genesis 3.8, that's where God walks in the garden with the very first human beings. That, that was his plan. There's a sort of relational walk. Uh, and then Genesis 5.12, where a God-loving man named Enoch is described as walking with God. Okay? So basically, what walking with God means is this. It's just doing life with him. And doing life with him his way. That's what it means to walk with God. And when we walk with God, we produce the the good fruit that we just read about in that verse, Um, the fruit that we were made to produce. So so I want you to imagine this, okay? Um, Because the Bible is full of this imagery of bearing fruit and so forth. Uh, Imagine that you have spent years genetically developing an apple tree to produce the perfect apple. You get to define what perfect is. Crunchy, whatever it is. Uh, But you've spent years doing that, okay? Now imagine that through no fault of your own like very accurate science and everything, because I'm sure everybody could do this. um, That tree kind of like, it seems like it starts developing a mind of its own and it just goes, things go horrifically haywire with it, okay? Uh, Now it's growing roots where the leaves should be and leaves where the roots should be. It uh, starts oozing this sap that smells an awful lot like a toddler's diaper and which I have had a lot of experience with that. Um, and uh, it, the, the only fruits it ever produces resemble more like, uh, like you know, a, a tomato that is five weeks past its prime than it does an, actually, an actual apple. Hey, how do you feel about your tree now? Right? Well, I mean, anything but pleased. What do you do with this tree that's practically dead and maybe is better off being dead? See, human beings, we're that tree. We're that tree. When we are doing life the way the Lord designed us to, then we are a fruit-bearing apple tree that brings good into God's world and pleasure to him. But when we decide to turn from God, to do life apart from him, to, to walk in the opposite direction, to cut off relationship with him, when we choose to do life my way, in a way that seems right to me, that results in deadness. Deadness for us, and also deadness for the people around us, right? All right, so why does all that matter? I want you to look at the the logical progression here in verse 10. Um, Paul, Paul has prayed that they would know God, right? And so that knowledge and understanding of the Lord is meant to shape how you walk, and then as you walk with him, that in turn increases your knowledge of the Lord. 
See that in the increasing in the knowledge of God at the tail end of verse 10, right? And so you can kind of see how that cycle just sort of builds on itself. It perpetuates itself. You know you walk. You know you walk. You know you walk. You know you walk into like an intensifying cycle, okay? Here's the thing. Uh, that works in any human relationship too. The more you know somebody else, the more it shapes how you do life with them, right? And how you do life because of them. The more intimate you get with somebody, the more impact they have on how you see the world, how you do the world, and how you do life with them. The same is true of the Lord, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the cycle that God has made. No walk, no walk, no walk. But that cycle can break down, can't it? In two ways. First, you can stop seeking to know the Lord, which then means you're gonna stop bearing fruit and you'll start straying in your walk which means you'll be even less likely to seek the Lord. And I don't know if you all have experienced this. I have, when I've, I've decided to set aside time with him. I've also experienced this. Uh, you can also stuff your head full of knowledge, but then not actually let it impact how you do life. Um, you don't actually bring that before the Lord, don't let it affect your walk. And you're not trying to live this out or, or ask Jesus to mold and shape you. And then guess what? You stagnate. You stagnate. And you'll find that uh, you may have all the right answers, but they seem very stale to you. And they're very stale to all the people that you try to force those right answers down their throat to. Um, so what's the answer, right? Hey, our God wants you to know him. And he wants you to walk with him, to, to do life his way, the way that he meant you to do. Uh, and as you do that, you come to know him better, love him deeper, mirror him more closely. And here's the invitation, right? Friend, let's examine our hearts. Let's stop and examine our hearts. Does your knowledge of God just kind of stop there? Or is it also a walk with him? Do you, do you know about the Lord? Or do you know him? Right? And and here's the thing, if, if you're like, oh, that's a good question, then I want you to hear the invitation. I want you to hear what the Lord is saying to you. He says, come follow me. Come walk with me, come do life with me, do life my way and know me. And as you do, you'll find that you bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that's, uh, that's Paul's prayer that the Colossians would know but he doesn't end his, and that they would walk, but Paul doesn't end his prayer there. He wants the Colossians to know the Lord's will, and he wants that to shape their walk, but Paul's a good pastor, right? And he knows that this cycle, this no walk, no walk cycle that's supposed to perpetuate, he knows it can break down, just like we talked about. Um, especially when life gets hard. You may know this from your own experience, and life could be hard for the Colossians. So here's what Paul, Pastor Paul prays for the Colossians. He says, I also pray that you would not just only know and walk, but that you would endure. Your sermon outline will say endure. I would, I would draw a little slash by that, put endure and be empowered, okay? Endure and be empowered as the Lord's people. Let's read uh, in verse 11, okay? That's, this is where we're getting this from. Uh, now, that period that you see between the end of verse 10 and verse 11, that actually isn't there in the Greek. Um, it, it, in Greek, it's all just kind of like one big long sentence. And so here's how that would read fairly woodenly. Okay? It, it would say, 
uh, bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God in all power being empowered according to the might of the glory of him with all endurance and patience, right? What does all that mean, right? Uh, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I know that growing and knowing the Lord's will and then living that out, walking that out, I know that it can be hard. I know you're gonna face challenges to that. Colossians, you've already faced a lot of challenges to, to trust in King Jesus. I'm praying that y'all will endure. Because you wanna know what's bigger than your fears and bigger than your challenges to know and grow? The Lord's power, right? Hey, it's the Lord's glorious power. Think, think about the story of that power that we see displayed here. Uh, it's that power that breathed this universe into existence. It's that power that washed away uh, this re uh, rebellious world. It's that power that created life in dead wombs. The power that shattered armies and nations to preserve God's people. It's that power that moved in the hearts of emperors to, to proclaim release to God's people. It's that power which would then enter a virgin's womb and become human. The power that would restore sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, strength to the lame. It's that power that filled a dead man's lungs, that, that uh, pulsed in his cold veins. It's that power that rolled a tombstone away and obliterated the hold of death. That's power. And in Colossians, Paul's saying, I'm praying that all that power would empower you. Christian, that is the power that empowers you. That is the power at work in you, the power that has invaded your, uh, your lives, that gives you knowledge, that enables you to walk, that enables you to endure. That power is in you. Hey, why does that matter? Um, friend, I think this is true of all of us. I mean, it's definitely been true of all of us at one point, right? Um, are you trying to do life on your own and through your own power? You're just working really hard to measure up, trying to, trying to do all the right things, be everything that those around you want you to be, that you yourself think you should be. And do you feel like by the end of it, you're just kind of done. You just sort of want to call it quits. Because you can't endure under the weight of all that performance. Hey, here's the good news. You don't have to. You don't have to. See, in every other religion and system out there, uh, everything falls on you. The weight of everything does fall on you. If you have got to perform, if you're going to measure up to God and measure up to other people's standards, uh, and you've got to bear up under that, and we all know we ought to be able to, right? I think that's why we try. We're trying hard because we know I should be able to hit that. And you can't because I'm broken. I can't do it. No human being has the power to perform that way and to endure under the pressure of performing that way. No human being but Jesus, right? See, Jesus perfectly performed and he endured, right? And not only does he tell you, hey, stand behind me. 
and let my performance speak for you. Cover yourself in my performance. Make it your own. He also says, and trust me to empower you. Trust me to give you knowledge, to empower your walk, to, to cause you to produce those apples instead of like whatever else that is that we produce. Uh, trust me to do all of that without giving up, to cause you to endure. Hey, uh, here's the beauty and the challenge of Christianity, okay? None of it depends on you. None of it. It's Jesus's performance that makes you right with God. It's Jesus's spirit that fills you with the knowledge of God. And then it's Jesus's power that enables you to walk the way you're supposed to walk. And, and to, keep, to keep you walking so that you endure, right? Hey, I get it. So maybe right now you're feeling like, well, I'm a Christian and I don't know that that power is at work in me. I would say two things, okay? Uh, first one's a little harder. First, are you sure you're a Christian? I think you gotta ask that question, right? Especially here in the Valley where uh, we can kind of assume because my family name's on a church roster that goes back for eons. Like you have to ask the question, are you actually, are you actually a Christian? Because don't, don't just assume you are. Have you surrendered to King Jesus? Are you, are you have you said, look, Lord, I'm, I'm really done trying to perform on my own. I'm done with that whole rat race. I'm trusting you to actually get me into God's good graces. Your performance, not mine. Do you trust him to do that for you, right? Because if you do, then here's the good news. Yes, you do have that power at work in you. You want to know why? Because God says every one of his kids gets his power. Every one of us. And maybe, you're, maybe that doesn't help, right? Maybe you're like, okay, no, I know I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus for that. Uh, well, here's the second thing I would say, okay? If you're a Christian and you don't feel like, like you see that power at work, then maybe it's time to check your performance again. Not in the sense of like, here's your list, are you measuring up differently? Have you fallen back into trying to perform your way through the Christian life? Are you, are you just trying to white knuckle your way through sin? Are you seeking to improve your spiritual image all on your own strength and your power? Because friend, if, if you are, of course you're frustrated. We just said you don't have the power to do this. You cannot do this. You need your savior. So what's the answer, right? Um, I think this is what's so hard and yet simple about the Christian life. And this is what the Lord, I think, walks all of us through. Um, the answer is, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? You, you turn back to him and you trust him again. You say, Lord, would you empower me? Lord, would you make me who you want me to be? Lord, would you change me? Do life with Jesus. Because as, as we do life with him and are fully open and honest with him and completely transparent with him, right, uh, you'll find that he really does change you. The same way, again, think, think relationally with other people. 
The same way that as you do life openly and honestly with somebody else, you find that they change you. So will you do life with the Lord, do it openly with him, and trust him? Trust him to bring change. Trust him to empower and to cause us to endure, right? Mm, that's hard. Uh, Pastor Paul, I think, I think many of us probably would have just ended Paul's prayer right there. No, walk, and then endure. That's not, where, that's not where the Christian story ends. Paul makes one more prayer request. And this is his request. Of the Colossians would also celebrate. Celebrate as God's people. Verses 12 through 14, right? He says, with joy, giving thanks to the Father for the story that he's written you into. Wait, uh, where, where do we get the idea of story? Right, where does that come from? Um, hey, uh, the story of God's people, I, I think in part because so often we're not as familiar with our Old Testament, so we sort of miss this. Um, you can miss what Paul is doing in his prayer. See, Paul was a good Jewish boy. He knew his Old Testament, in and out. And he was being very intentional with the words that he was picking in verses 12 through 14. These verses are full of Old Testament imagery. And they call to mind the story of God's people, right? And it's crazy because in doing this, Paul the Jew, Paul the Pharisee, the, the, the one who uh, sought to kill people because he was afraid they were polluting Judaism and polluting God's people with these Gentile ways. Paul includes these Gentile Colossians right there with him in that same story of God's people. And he's saying this, Colossians, the Lord has qualified you. The Lord has qualified you and numbered you among his chosen people, among his Israel, the people that he chose and set up as a light to the nations. The Lord has redeemed you. Like Israel once was, yeah, you were enslaved to darkness and to sin with no hope of escape and he paid the price and bought you back for himself. The Lord rescued you out of the power of darkness like he rescued Israel out of Egypt and he brought you and planted you solidly into his kingdom. The Lord gave you an inheritance just as surely as if he had allotted your ancestors a portion of land back in the day when he was divvying up the promised land through, through Joshua. A, a, an inheritance, a family plot that you could point back to and you could say, yes, I'm part of the people of God. That's my home. I belong here among God's people. The Lord forgave your sins. Literally, released. He released you from the sentence of death that was yours for rebelling against him as king. And he took that sentence on himself. And finally, the Lord welcomed you back into his kingdom as your king. And he says, Colossians, that's the story of God's people. Celebrate that. Because that story is your story. It's a story to celebrate with joyful, with joyful thanksgiving. Holy Cross, that story is your story. The Lord has done this. Hey, um, why does all this matter? Because honestly, the Colossians, 
they were worried that they weren't in yet. They felt that there was something more that they needed to do to, to really be numbered among God's people. Because again, that's what they were hearing from, from, the, uh, from the ethnic Jews who lived in their area. Y'all aren't really one of us until you've done X, Y, and Z. Does that sound familiar? What does Paul say? He says, y'all, you're in. Colossians, you are in, and you want to know why you're in? It's not because of your performance. It was never about your performance. The king himself, God himself, has brought you in. He has placed you in. Hey, did you guys catch it? And this whole, this whole prayer that Paul is giving, uh, who's the hero? Who's the hero of this prayer? It's the Lord. It's the Lord every time. He's the one who is filling his people with knowledge. He's the one who's empowering their walk. He's the one who is granting endurance, who is qualifying, delivering, transforming, redeeming. The one who is the one who this is all about. He's the one who is forgiving. He does it all. Here's what that should do for you. It should help you breathe just a little bit easier if you're God's people. Should help you breathe just a little. It's not on you. You want to know why? Because he started that work. The Lord started that work. The Lord is the one who continues that work. And the Lord is the one who will finish that work in you. All right, so what's left for us to do? Right? Because we so want to do something. So often that's how we're wired. Give me something to do. All right, you want to do something? Here's what you do. Celebrate. Celebrate. Celebrate what Jesus has done. Soak in that. Soak in his story, in, in the story that you have been written into. Let your heart fill with joyful thanksgiving with what he has done. Celebrate the story. Celebrate the Lord who wrote that story, right? Celebrate the Lord who lets you know. Lord who empowers your walk. The, the one who gives you endurance the one who, who brings you in, who qualifies, who delivers, who transfers, who redeems, who forgives. You know, before a watching world out there that expects performance, celebrate the one who this is all about, Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus only, and Jesus always. So friends, let's celebrate him now. To join me in prayer. Father, we come before you just repenting of our righteousness. So often we, we seek to fall back to those lists, to the things that we feel like we have to do to be a good person. And Father, that's not why you accepted us. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before you. You accepted us because of Jesus and what he has done. And so Father, I ask for my sisters and my brothers in this space, Father, would you fill their hearts with celebration? And Lord, would you empower them to know? Would you empower them to walk? Would you enable them with your power to endure? And Jesus, from here this week, allow us to celebrate what you have done for your glory and our good. And Jesus, we pray all this in your name. Amen.